James, you were you were talking about uh, a standing desk. Why not just build a desk on to- uh, like a smaller desk on top of the desk you already have and save yourself money? Well, I want one that you can either be standing at or sitting at. Cool, just just lift it off and put it on the floor when you don't you when you don't want it. Problem solved. Well, yeah, but that's like a, so much effort. <laughs> I want to I want to just be able to like pull a lever and have the desk go down and then pull a lever and have it go up whenever I'm wanting to change my arrangement. I'll be honest, that sounds expensive. Yeah, those tend to be expensive. I, I don't. I, I've 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 kind of looked at some options because I would really like to make this health improvement in my life, mm-hmm. but they they are they are a bit costly. And until I, and I reckon until I, I know that I don't need any money for other things, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit on that decision for a bit. Well, the annoying thing about, I'm sorry to bring this up again, my tax stuff, is that I'm still unconvinced that HMRC are gonna let me pay it off with my salary. So now I'm just like trying to figure out how to avoid giving all of my savings to the government. All right. So are you looking at like? Finding out what kinds of things you can claim a portion of no. and expenses and stuff. <laughs> no, I was thinking of like, what can I sell? <laughs> uh, what can I sell for lots of money? And uh, anything that's not directly like a part of my body. Because I, I, I well believe there is a black market for things like organs. I, but... I mean, yeah, no, there is. But th- that, that stuff t- tends to not go down well with the taxman. I, I think my catch-22 is that I'm just going to have to do more freelance right now yeah. to pay off the tax bill which inadvertently is going to increase my tax bill for next year it will do it will do but it'll be worth it it's a fair point i got paid in cryptocurrency this week first time ever <laughs> oh man nice well done <laughs> i don't know how, my, how am i meant to put that down on an hmrc document i have got i don't know what you do with crypto <laughs> they just asked they're like hey put in your numbers here i can't put in ethereum they don't have a, a value for ethereum oh, did you get paid in ethereum i got paid in ethereum yeah uh, ethereum is one of the ones i know Congrats! Yeah, it's uh, it was in, it was actually very interesting because that I suspect will be a common theme going forward. Certainly not for everybody, but um, in some of the the murky fields I work, people say, "Hey, <laughs> let me give you some untraceable currency." I say, "Great, Can we pay you in crypto." Yeah, <laughs> but that's some of the uh, actually, ironically, some of the funds which I'm now considering uh, taking out, jettisoning, right, so right. I can give it to to Mister Taxman. Yeah, technically, maybe it's the case that that that's kind of like money that doesn't exist until you do. I don't know. You'll have to look into what what the HMRC say about uh, <laughs> cryptocurrency. So what their advice is. Phone, uh, phone in anonymously. Get a burner phone. Call in. <laughs> <laughs> Treat it like proper crime stuff. I, I do actually have like an old HTC, which I think is so old that it is just one of these like phone uh, texts, pictures. It's, yeah. Maybe I think I think it's got an FM radio app on oh, it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's way before all of the uh, tracking was in place. I, I think actually it's so old that most of the texts I have are from girls. Like that's that's how old it is. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow, that that really does tell a story. <laughs> yeah. But no, I I don't don't actually worry. H H M R C don't they don't act. If anybody out there is looking at their crypto wallet right now, having me made a joke about crime, don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's it is one of the the main issues with crypto is that it is pretty easy to launder money. Oh yeah, no. So. There, there are illegitimate ways to use it, but there are. It's, it's also fine. But, but I, I am being totally legitimate. I must be, I must be very clear. Although Ross uh, got in touch with the show, 
Uh, he, he tweeted to say that both myself and Rangers Football Club <laughs> had one thing in common, which was excellent at dealing with tax affairs. Which made me laugh, Ross. Thank you. Is that Rangers Football Club or the Rangers Football Club? I think that's the Rangers. All right. Okay, they're doing a slightly better job, I believe. The the difference is between myself and Rangers, I don't owe a face painting company 250 quid (laughs) from a job they did in 2012. You know? And I also didn't put all my salaries for all my employees in offshore bank accounts and then paid them off as loans. So come on, Ross. Get with the times. Yeah, Colin's not quite there yet. I saw we actually had some other feedback as well. Let me do the feedback. Yeah, Colin. we we did. Let, let me let me start the show first and bring that in. Welcome to Seesaw Parade. Okay, okay. This is episode two two nine, I believe. Which is again, sorry, just a ridiculous number. We're doing well. I'm Colin and he's James. I mean, it's a shame that we don't have like as many listeners as we got episodes, but you know, we're still doing well. <laughs> well the thing is, James, if you add up all our listens. We're actually doing great. We are. We are. And that's all that matters. Some of those old episodes still just raking the listens and it makes no sense because they're embarrassing. Oh, it's great. I will I will live off that episode of Madonna falling off the stage for the for as long as he's operate as a thing. Because people keep listening to it, which is fine by me. Uh, thank you to all of you who are actually still listening for whatever reason. To the decent episodes. These 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 ones where we actually know how to talk for more than a minute. That's very true. Uh, welcome. Thank you, everybody. And as you mentioned there, James, we did have some more interaction. This one from Izzy. Yes. Uh, saying, in relation to the vaccines chat you guys were having last week, boy, oh boy. I've been interested in how many people I know who are uncomfortable in having a vaccine which hasn't been tested for long-term effects. Truthfully, I'm probably one of them. Will uptake of the vaccine be less than people expect, do you think? Now, James, I have some additional information, but shall I ask for your opinion first? Oh, I think additional information sounds like the good place to go. Okay. There was a conspiracy theory during the rounds last week or a a couple weeks ago where somebody was claiming that part of the vaccine was cells of unborn fetuses. Oh, well, no, that's what that's what Trump got treated by. Okay. And uh, this this claim was, again, as these things usually do, spreading like wildfire on Facebook. But the, the problem here is that this is actually part of the testing process. They take fetuses of animals, I must say, not humans, yeah. and test very, very small doses on the cells to see what happens to the cells yeah. over, the, over a period of months. And this is how they are able to tell if there are any birth defects with said Basically, cells yeah. or with yeah. said fetus. And so that kind of cleared up for me because you can't just give a vaccine to a to a pregnant woman and, which yeah, is untested. And, yeah. and so I was figure I was trying to figure out how they got around that. Here's how they do it. And so that after reading that and after reading again much more clever people than me's uh, expertise yeah. and facts around these issues, I am I am now clearer on how they get around these long-term issues. Yes, I did the same thing. I did a lot of reading after I realized that there was this base level of insecurity that I had going on. And there's just reading about the different methods that the different vaccines went through to be produced and yep. how, how there are these major differences between how vaccines are made this year compared to 10 years ago. It was mind blowing, and and decide like I saw a lot um, uh, of people saying that yeah, it's it's quicker, but 
the steps that have been done haven't actually been done any faster than usual. The part that's going faster than usual is mass production because all the countries have already bought the vaccines. Correct. Which they never do when it's just like Zika virus or something in Africa because all of these wealthy countries don't care enough to pre-buy. The other issue, James, is that with other vaccines which have taken, you know, five, six years in some cases, it's because there's no urgency. Yeah. There's no reason because the, the illnesses they're dealing with or perhaps have been around for generations or it's a very new one, which is only affecting a handful of people. Yeah. And the amount of hurdles that they have to go through, whether it's funding or it's funding, uh, trials, you know, whereas in this case, there was... Tens of thousands of altruistic people who are signing up to be a volunteer for these jabs and these tests. Well, yeah, and billions and billions of government funds. And and all the money possible, which is why it's been it has been streamlined so fast. But I feel we're getting ahead of ourselves. To answer well, no, Izzy's question, I, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. To answer Izzy's question, and then I'll get your view, I can completely understand why people would be apprehensive about getting the vaccine. But ultimately... The people who have made this vaccine are doing this and are putting this out in the knowledge that it is safe because that is their job is to create a vaccine which cures people, which helps people. And so whilst I will be far from the first person to stick their arm out and say, yeah, go on, juice me up, daddy. I'm not going to be that person. But and I'm also probably last in the queue anyway, because I'm not one of the affected people. So it's, it's much easier for me to say hmm, I'll probably take it, but I'm not going to be first in line. James, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so to answer the question itself, I think there will be more hesitation than probably governments and health authorities are hoping for. Yeah. Because all we've had for the last 20, 30 years of vaccine news is the bad news. The only times that vaccines were grabbing the headlines was when there was something wrong and there was this scandal about it or there was this major problem or falsely claiming that they caused autism so yeah or that um but i'm I'm talking about for normal human beings not conspiracy theorists okay so we've we've been swayed by negative news for a long time so it's kind of hard to believe the positive news and i don't think anybody's doing a good enough job of explaining how this is different or how this is better like it took me a quite a bit of finding or at least it took me a few days before i've the BBC finally published an article about the method of the Oxford vaccine, for example, which is brand new uh, and kind of soft predicted the virus. They were already developing a vaccine that could be uh, slightly changed to deal with right. any upcoming coronavirus. And then, hey, we got one. And then, hey, the vaccine actually does work. Um, so we need to counter a lot of this generation's worth of negative vaccine news with, hey, no, these are the facts. But my question is, do I think or do we think that all the conspiracy theories and the anti-vax movement is going to be more or less effective than all that negative news? I think the more impactful thing is all this conspiracy theory that's been going about for a long time, which isn't the fault of anybody rational. And I don't know how we counter that. It is very difficult to counter. I feel we're, we're actually eating into the start of the show. But oh, yeah. one final thing. I do believe that the people who are anti-vaxxers and who are conspiracy theorists is still a relative minority. A loud minority, but yes. A very, very loud, very vocal minority, but a, vo- a minority nonetheless. Yeah. I believe your average Joe Britton <laughs> will 
quite happily get a vaccine yeah. if they are in a particular category who are affected by it. I believe the people who are who are making the most noise are probably unlikely to be the ones who would be getting it anyway. Yeah, so I'm only wondering which group would have been bigger. Is the people that are a bit nervous because of our history of hearing about bad vaccines or the conspiracy theories? Like, which group is more effective? Um, the one thing that was making me re-question the vaccine, or at least the UK one, was the the leak or the news that the government was pushing for them to be stamped with a, a, a union jack <laughs> as an anti-Scottish independence uh, method. <laughs> I was like cringing so hard at how much governments think people that don't like the UK are going to be convinced by a flag on a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one of the wildest things I saw last week. <laughs> it was just funny. Amongst many wild things. A lot happened, but just this idea that we'd all be converted into unionists by, by having a vaccine with a union jack on it. My goodness, it made me believe in conspiracy theories for a second. The, the thing is, it reminded me of Trump insisting that his name yeah. slash signature would be on all the, uh, the checks that were given out to American citizens. Exactly, and everybody made fun of that. But then here comes Big Big Daddy UK. Hey, put my flag on the vaccine. <laughs> Will it help it be more effective? No. Won't it like make them take longer to produce? Yes. Okay, right, enough of that. Let's actually start the show for real. And let's start with Christmas. Oh boy, yeah. Seeing as it's almost December. Okay, James, the leaders of the four UK nations have announced that over Christmas, over a five-day period, up to three households will be able to meet and mix in people's homes, in places of worship and outdoor spaces. Travel restrictions are also going to be eased. Uh, This Christmas bubble must be exclusive and uh, you would not be able to visit pubs or restaurants together. Right. Uh, All the leaders have said that in reality, or, or the, the honest truth, is that they'd rather people stayed at home anyway. But if you must, this is what's allowed. Three households between December 23rd and December 27th. There was a lot of uh, vocal, a lot more vocal opposition to this than I expected. One of the leading uh, scientists down in SAGE said, you may be meeting your relatives in uh, over this five-day period in Christmas, but you'll be burying them in January. Yeah. That has been, as I say, more more loudly proclaimed than I thought. What's your thoughts on the fact that, yeah, this is now uh, enshrined in the regulations? Three households over Christmas. The, there's the two the two thoughts. I'm not sure wh- which one's going to settle at the end of the day. There's this pragmatic side that this is the government realizing, or this is the government's realizing, that people are going to be meeting each other anyway. So we might as well try to put a cap on it yep. rather than tell them no. Because if we say no, they're not going to put a cap on it. But if we say, hey, you can meet one or two families, then they'll only meet one or two, hopefully. Um, and maybe that's maybe that that's how it's going to be. Um, but then there's the other side that's like, well, if you give people an inch, they'll just go for it. And if you ease the regulations a wee bit for Christmas, everybody's going to go wild for five days, meeting everybody they want to every single day of the week and then deal with the consequences later and and i i don't know what to think this time it feels like we're allowing that we're saying go ahead 
put everybody at risk where we should be saying it with less I mean even though they're being a bit cautious I think they should be saying it with even more caution like it doesn't feel as necessary as this so I I don't know I don't know what to make of it quite yet What's, what's your thoughts? I think you're right in that it's it struck a balance because people, regardless of what was said, were going to meet up over Christmas anyway. So yeah. you're right in that something had to be done. Exactly. It's also a reflection of the fact that people are struggling. You know, I've, people I know who I would have thought pre-pandemic were pretty resilient, who have had a really rough time of it. Yeah, And that is to do with personal circumstances, with a job that they loved, which now is completely, you know, night and day from what they used to do or, you know, something that they're now no longer able to do yeah. because of the restrictions. So so I, I get that for a lot of people being allowed to meet in at least with at least a couple other people over Christmas. Like, I get that. That's completely understandable. And if the government say I'm allowed to do that, then I will. I'll take. A, I'll take them up on that. I will go up north with yeah, a n other, and that will be my my five days of Christmas. And if I'm a, if I am being given permission, I will take that permission. But the balance is, as some of these uh, vo- uh, opposition voices have been saying, more people are going to die, and that is, I want to say, an indisputable fact. Yeah. That because people are now going to be mixing in households and, you know, give people a meter and they'll take a mile, I know there will be some bending of the rules. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, the regulation is that you're allowed to meet two or three per day rather than like the same two or three for that whole five no, days. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Nicola Sturgeon said, if you're forming your three households, that's it. You can't just like meet three on Christmas Day and meet another three on Boxing Day because okay, that, okay. that is chaos. I was misled. You know, the, the amount of... That would be mad. That would be way too much. So it, it is a balance of, okay, we, we want to make sure that we safeguard the most vulnerable people in the UK mm. whilst understanding that people want to meet up because it's been a rough year. I probably would have not wanted to see the travel restrictions lifted. I think that's one of Why the weaker that? sides of this. Like, sure, there are families that are separated by a long distance, but since so many people are reliant on public transport and stuff like that to do those travels, that becomes a hub. Or since so, since you're seeing people going from our major hotspot urban areas to more rural areas, they could be taking the virus with them, and then a wee outbreak in a village happens. Yeah, I think I think there should have been this. Hey, this Christmas is going to be real difficult and weird. You can meet up to three households within your region, and if you don't have family within the region, we encourage you to meet with your neighbours and give yourself a COVID family and stuff like that. I I, I think. I think the travel the travel restrictions and this idea that people are going to be just... I mean, because we said the same thing about what was it, Chinese New Year right at the beginning. Yep. Everybody went to their major cities and we were like, why? And then they went home and we're like, well, that's going to spread the virus everywhere. And it did. Mm-hmm. And we've been saying the same thing about Thanksgiving in, in the States. Everybody's talking about how everybody traveling for so long to see people and then go home is, is a bit dumb. So I think we're making the same mistake. I would I would agree but they've balanced it with the the well-being of the majority of people in the country. And I think people, as callous as this sounds, are okay with more people dying if it means yeah. that they get to hang out with their family over Christmas. Uh, yeah. But the, 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 but the harsh reality is that some of the older relatives that they hang out with 
are the ones who are being put most at risk yeah, by their the, visiting. Yeah, or the older relatives and then the their circle of older relative friends within that new community that you've just visited for a short time. I think this touches on the same problem I've spoken about before. Because of the way the UK has treated society by saying there is no such thing as society, all you are is an individual and a family yeah. for so long. Now, when it would have been the perfect time to say, hey, your community is your circle, family that's far away can't be in your circle for now, it would have been brilliant to have that support network in place for communities and society um, in each area. But the UK government and society have seen that erode over years for business reasons and for individual freedom reasons. Um, okay. Where we could have had this replacement for a year or for two years, but we, we can't have that because it's been eroded. A, a couple more thoughts before we, we move on. I believe there will be a couple of mitigating measures introduced over the next coming weeks to try and alleviate the numbers of people who will be contagious traveling. So one of which is to, in Scotland, for example, give the school kids longer holidays either side of Christmas. So they'd finish yeah. across the entire country. I believe they'd finish on the 17th and they'd go back on something like the 11th, right. which if you're doing your maths, is 14 days after December 27th. Indeed it is. So, so that... Okay, fair enough. That's that's something you can do. Yeah, it gives you a window to notice that you managed to get yourselves infected. <laughs> Essentially, yes. The other issue is um, the current tiers, which we'll get onto with England in just a second. In Scotland, in Glasgow, for example, and in various parts of the country, I believe it's 2.3 million Scots are in the highest band. Tier 4, as myself and James are, Hey-o. I would expect that that level is continued as close up to Christmas as is possible, because as soon as you start opening things up, then cases are going to go up. Yeah. So if you're able to get them down, and the numbers are going down very stubbornly, then you're giving yourselves as a nation the best chance of coming out of oh, yeah. 2021 with a, a small number, a smallish number of infected people. Yeah. My final thought, James, My sorry, my final thought is that the trade-off of this five-day Christmas is that, as alluded to previously, January, which is a notoriously rubbish month, is just going to be made even worse because we will be, in many parts of the country, back into the strictest possible lockdown. And that, to me, again, undisputable. Yeah. Indisputable. What's the word? (laughs) Um, Indisputable, not. Undisputable? Yeah, indisputable. Either one. I. English is a flexible language. You're unable to deny that we will be back in the (laughs) highest level of lockdown. Okay, James, on you go. Well, unless you're like Tory rebels, in which case you don't see lockdowns as necessary. Ah, come on. We're not on that point yet. Finish finish up. Uh, No, you're you're right. We're going to see this maximum restriction on, on either side of this Christmas window so that for five days or a week, people will be able to maximize family bonding time, but also buying stuff time because now people are going to buy more gifts because they're going to still be able to give them in person and that's more fun um (laughs) so business will be happy for a little bit not all businesses though sorry to pubs and stuff um people will be happy for a bit we might see an uptick in 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 mental health yeah that might we might have a little boost for that but who knows if like giving people a little bit of freedom and then bring taking it all away again for an entire month won't just see that that blip in a positive direction 
tank in the other direction afterwards. Uh, as far as the mental health goes, um, the government's to blame for that too. Uh, we're looking we're looking at other countries who are seeing uh, mental health issues at lower rates than any other year because mental health globally is improving year upon year. Right. And then our, in the UK, it's a major problem. And that's one of the reasons that we've got this Christmas window that is potentially going to be uh, good or really bad. Um, it's something to keep talking about for the next month and then for the whole month after Christmas too. Okay. James, you mentioned... Tory MPs being very unhappy about various tiers. Uh, (laughs) But don't close the churches. (laughs) It is all ending in tiers. Sorry, I can't help myself. (laughs) The new COVID tier system, according to Boris Johnson, will have an expiry date of February 3rd. Of course. So this is what the Prime Minister has told MPs in a bid to prevent a Commons rebellion. So the current lockdown south of the border ends on Wednesday and it seems to me like a a couple hundred Tory MPs are very unhappy with the new tiers that are going to replace it. Yeah, and Labour are not decided on what they're going to vote. Yeah, which is interesting. So so MPs are going to vote on this system on Tuesday. And basically, the new system will mean that regions are going to be in one of three tiers. So they're replacing the system they already replaced the other one with. They're just renaming the three-tier system and changing the, the rules a little bit. So the, so the lowest one is medium. Yeah. And then you've got high, and then you've got very high. And yeah. in total, 99% of England's population will be in the top two tiers. Only Cornwall, the Isle of Wight and the Isles of Scilly will be in the lowest tier. Yeah. And so, as you say, James, MPs are very unhappy about this. And uh, Bojo has said that the tiers will be reviewed every two weeks with February 3rd being the light at the end of the tunnel, which, to me, is an impossible claim to make. So, James, why, why do you think... If you get into the mind of of uh, Bojo here, He's, what's what's the reasoning behind this I mean, outlandish claim? It's the same promise that he's been making ever since his start, and in this in this instance, it's because his own party is demanding that he make such a promise. For once, the Tory party is having to put a sunset clause in a power grab, but I guess it's because they like churches and stuff. Um, <laughs> The Tory party does not usually put sunset clauses on anything. They like their indefinite power for the party right. uh, motions. But I guess lockdowns tickle a different a different group. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I don't think it's realistic to say they come to an end here. I think I don't think I don't think that anybody believes it will come to an end then. I guess no, we'll have some vaccines and stuff around about that time and they can they can take that into account and but at the very no, most realistically, they'll just come to this start of February and they'll go, okay, let's rename the tiers again. And they'll change the rules a tiny wee bit, like move the pubs can open from tier two to tier one or whatever. And then okay. uh, they'll name them low, medium and high instead of medium, high and very high. Which, by the way, medium, high, very high, I agree with. You need to make things sound severe. To me, I'm just reading more into this. Uh, these Tory rebels appear to be increasingly confident that they will actually uh, win against uh, Boris Johnson's current majority of 80 on Tuesday when this vote happens. And it would then mean that the Prime Minister has to rely on Labour to get their measures through. And as you say, James, the opposition have yet to commit to an outcome here. So for them, they've actually actually kind of hold the power here. They probably don't want to, though. 
Um, because well, no, if they'd make it, if they, Labour's method right now is do absolutely nothing, so the Tories can't blame them for stuff, because the Tories' game plan for ten years has been just blame Labour for everything. Um, so I imagine if the Tory party is looking like self sabotage is going on, Labour will will abstain. They just won't vote. Uh, something like that, and it will be a catastrophe, and everything will go down. Um, Boris will be blamed, but he's wanting to leave next year, anyways. Uh, it's it's wild, and just looking, reflecting on the UK and coronavirus once again, because we do this all the time. We've done really bad. There's reports come out this week that the UK, in terms of the G7, spent the second most on coronavirus <laughs> response, and still has uh-huh. the worst outcome. How bad? Are, are the Tories at what they do to spend so much and still have the economy tanked as badly as we did, still be like second worst in terms of total infection rate? What did they spend the money on? Well, actually, we know the answer to that, but come on. We do. The uh, total death tally for the UK at the moment, as of Sunday, is 58,030 people. Yeah. And th- I suspect that will get up to 60,000 before the end of well, probably in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Which is grim. It's dire. And the, the, the Tories will do anything to shift the blame away from themselves. And sadly, their voter base kind of likes that stuff. Um, so it might work. But if you just look at the, the basic numbers, there is no way that anybody could be proud of a single thing that has been done. One final point before we move on to something else. In this same letter... And in follow-up interviews, Boris has said that he believes we will be back to some sort of normality by Easter. So with the restrictions yeah. or these lockdowns that he's uh, promising for England uh, coming to the e- coming to an end on February 3rd, right. he, he then believes, I suspect, that there will be something more gentle between February and April. But again, as much as we have vaccines now, it, there's so many factors in place yes. that will determine when we get out of this. And I believe you're you're playing with fire if you're promising normality by a certain point. If you're promising a sunset clause yeah. of February 3rd, people get that in their mind and say, okay, great, we're going to be back to normal by February 4th. Yeah. Tremendous. Do people actually believe what the Conservatives say anymore? We've been getting promised normalcy by every significant date since this began. I don't know who still believes them. James, another quiet week in US politics, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, really quiet. So US President Donald Trump has pardoned the former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. Sure. The president said the widely expected act of clemency was a great honour. Mr Flynn himself was convicted... (laughs) During an inquiry into alleged Russian interference <laughs> yeah. in the uh, 2016 election, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is uh, House Speaker, called it an act of grave corruption <laughs> yeah, it is. and an abuse of power. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> it's a great honour to pardon somebody who pled guilty to sabotaging our prosecution process. James, presidents pardoning people is not a first. Presidents have done it. No, they do it all the for time. decades. Yeah, Obama did a lot, and mostly just a lot of low tier, um, unfairly convicted people. But you know, they all pardon their their friends too. Yeah. So, as much as it's very easy to jump on the the pile on here. 
because of how brazen this is, yeah. it's very difficult to criticize him for doing it because no. they all did it. Of course they do it. Uh, what we have to remember, though, is that pardon doesn't mean a not guilty. Correct. It means, hey, you're, you're guilty, uh, but you're just not doing your sentence now. Um, so the dude is still guilty. Um, so if you ever, if, if anybody happens to bump into Mr. Flynn, just make sure that he knows that you know he's guilty. Just look him, look him, look at him like you're just majorly disappointed. I'm sure it will affect his soul or something. Okay, moving on. Uh, this week, Donald Trump also accepted a formal U.S. transition should begin for President-elect Joe Biden. Apparently, and I was reading the Washington Post about this, who are very good. Were, they were saying that uh, Trump had to be convinced that allowing the transition to start did not mean he was conceding and that he would still be able to run his legal challenges, which we'll get to in a minute, but can, he, he can allow essentially the, the formal process to start. Yeah. Uh, the, the General Services Administration, the GCA, said it was acknowledging Mr. Biden as the apparent winner. Yeah. And this came as Mr. Biden's victory in Michigan was officially certified. Yes. And Trump's trying to reframe this as like Biden has to prove that he won the election fairly and stuff like this, that. Yeah, this is what I've been seeing. Yeah. Which is Trump saying, how how on earth did Biden get 80 million votes, you know, 12 million more than Obama did, and he and and he somehow won. He must prove that he won. It's like, that's it's not like, how this well, works. That's what the elections do. They prove that somebody won. That's the whole point. <laughs> if it, you're alleging that someone stole it or there's yeah. corruption, you show it. You show the corruption. You show the allegations or whatever you have. Yeah. You don't ask the other person to, prove to say, okay, you innocence. won. Prove you won. Yeah. Absolutely mental. But that's what, to, that's, what, that's what you got to expect from somebody who, who doesn't know how to lose. The guy can't even take a take an L in a charity golf tournament for... Like he's not no way he's gonna be able to 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 think that maybe he's not as popular as Biden. And while it, like to be fair, while the numbers who voted for Biden are record breaking, the numbers who voted for Trump are also record breaking. Are also record breaking. And it just so happens that the record breaking numbers happened in states that weren't close, <laughs> and the states that were close were kind of close. Uh, they just weren't close enough to be overturned by recounts and stuff like that. The the, the view going around in 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 my normal Twitter account where I follow people who are of a similar mind to me was that Trump is the as a candidate who is so I want to say partisan that he has people who love him but he has more people who hate him and that's why people were turning out in such massive numbers both for and against yeah and that's why we see Trump lose um somewhat convincingly like again it was it's closer than it's being presented by by the media um, well, I mean, Trump. If if it turns out that the the um, electoral college votes are three hundred six to two seventeen, that's the same margin as Trump yeah. won. He was calling it a landslide. The landslide Trump victory. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's why Biden it got has done way better than the Democrats have in House or in Senate. It was because he had people hating Trump on his side. So people would go in and they would vote Biden and then yep. leave the rest of the ballot blank if they didn't care or like just pick and choose if they did. Um, so this isn't a win for the Dems. They are still losing badly. They're losing seats um, in the House. They, they have completely failed to convincingly flip the Senate. We're yet to see if they'll manage to like break even there. 
Um, yep. So the election isn't a win by any means for, for the Democrats, but it definitely is a win for Biden. Um, and Trump needs to accept that. Okay, just connected to that in terms of the court's appeals. A recount paid for by the Trump campaign of the votes cast in Milwaukee County in Wisconsin ended on Friday with 132 votes being added to President-elect Joe Biden's margin of victory. Yeah, which didn't flip Trump to become the winner. Um, So can you remind me how much that cost them? Uh, So I believe that was a $3 million recount. I just wanted to hear it again. Funny numbers. (laughs) In which, yeah, more votes were added to Biden. And I believe that means that, um, yeah, his obviously his margin of victory was even greater than first imagined. But the the reason that they recounted in in Milwaukee County was that Biden's total was two and a half times larger than Trump's. And if they had managed to flip that in some miraculous turn of fortune, yeah. then they would have um, been given Wisconsin. But of course, None. nothing of the sort because happened. Because there wasn't actually massive amounts of fraud. Surprise. Indeed. In fact, I believe the only two current uh, provable cases of fraud were both people who attempted to vote twice for Trump. Yeah, which people did in the previous Trump election as well. Okay, I, sorry, just one more court case. Uh, this is in Pennsylvania. And uh, the three-judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals had uh, rejected their appeal, the Trump campaign's appeal, to undo the Pennsylvania election results. Uh, the judges wrote in their scathing opinion that the Trump campaign's claims have no merit. Well. And it's the latest court loss for Trump. I believe they're on a, they've won one and they've lost 37. Mm, wow. <laughs> Another good record. Okay, one final development in the US world of politics over the last few days. The Kraken was published. James, are you aware of this? I'd I'd heard rumours about the Kraken. Okay, so for any of you who are still in the dark, this is lawyer Sidney Powell, who up until about a week ago was on Trump's elite team of lawyers alongside melty-faced Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. Crack team, a crack team. As in a team that might as well be on crack. Essentially, yes. After the three of them appeared at the uh, Republican National uh, Committee headquarters, and Sidney Powell, in an unhinged rant, (laughs) accused various Republican governors of accepting bribes Uh of uh, the fact that Hugo Chavez, who's been dead for seven years, was orchestrating... The, uh, the, plan. the Dominion servers, which were, is the uh, the machines used to count the votes, despite the fact that also these machines do not have any sort of internet access whatsoever. So that's interesting. Yeah. After all this, apparently Trump was actually saw it through and, and said, this is making me look bad. And so Sidney Powell was kicked off the team. He finally realized that people make him look bad. But I don't think it's <laughs> he's made the realization that it's because he demands that they do. And since then... Uh, Sidney Powell, who represented, in a funny old world turn of events, Michael Flynn back in 2019, has now gone solo and published (laughs) The Kraken, which is a 200-page affidavit alleging all sorts of baseless conspiracy theories, the overwhelming majority of which have either been debunked or are disputed. And if you look to the first page, James, of this... Taking to the highest court in the land uh, document. This beast. There were three spelling errors in the title. Yeah. It's like to the district of Georgia. 
Of course. The th- third district court. It's embarrassing, but of course, supporters of Sydney Powell's Kraken were saying, ah, she did that intentionally so that the media would talk about it. Yeah, yeah, you got to get people to read your stuff. I'm going to be real with you. I, in my line of work, I make deliberate spelling mistakes to get engagement. That's believable. <laughs> However, do I think it would help me in a court case? No. <laughs> well, that's that's the difference here. This is someone who's having to convince judges yeah. of the uh, the merits of her case. Again, without presenting any evidence. And this is what Tucker Carlson got all that uh, terrible feedback about on Fox because he went out there and said it. He said, okay, Sidney Powell, you're alleging all this crazy stuff about communist money and Hugo Chavez. Where's your evidence? And she has yet to deliver anything. He did the exact same thing about the laptop. Don't let that guy get away with it. He's trash. They're all trash. Uh, So are we. I'm going to be asking pretty serious questions about this like people are going to be surprised i am asking questions about the systems in the u.s if 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 several lawyers don't end up losing their license to practice after the the admin goes down there there have been quite a lot of embarrassments um and if there's no repercussions then i don't understand how the system works well the the system is and i was reading about this yesterday the system in america is unique in that depending on the judges you get, you can basically tell the outcome of the case. So there was a, a smaller case taking place, I want to say, in Maryland, in which the state was putting forward that um, the president had been misusing foreign funds in his business right. uh, and misappropriating taxpayer, taxpayer monies. Shocker. And when said lawyer was told, because these decisions only get made on the day, apparently, yeah. was told that the three judges who were going to be hearing his case were all Republican appointees. Ah. He slapped his hand to his forehead because he realised, I've got no chance. Doesn't matter. And, yeah. of course, he did not. And apparently, over the course of the next three hours, these judges just eviscerated this guy uh, simply because of their affiliation. viewpoint politically. Well, not even affiliation. And that, yeah. to me, is absolutely wild, that... Depending on who appointed you yeah. to your position determines how you deliberate on any sort of case. Now, we have been seeing, I must say, we have been seeing some Republican pushback, very, very small amounts. But in Georgia, for example, Georgia Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger and also the governor, Brian Kemp, both of whom are Republicans, who have now said in the last week or so, more Republicans need to stand up and say, hold on a second here. We're bending to the rule of law. What does the law say as opposed to what does this wild mob on the right say? Yeah. Because the difference is when the wild mob's on the left, you, of course, are going to attack them and, and say all the mean things that the, the party line are saying. But what, what, what if the wild mob's on your side? Then what? It's good that we've got two or three people saying this. It's not a surprise that it's such a small amount. It's, it's, it's just a shame that even after people have have taken advantage of the four years they've had with Trump in charge, they're still tying themselves to that to that harbor. Yeah, and then they're still trying to be on that side. They can't at this point, even once it's doomed, detach themselves. It's it's just sad, and oh, it's oh. sad that they did in the first place. That anybody supported this four years. It's really sad. But my goodness, we need more people. Come on. I'm sure once we get to Inauguration Day, which I believe is January 20th, 
we will have a, a more in-depth chat about the legacy of Donald Trump. But the, the one thing that does stick out for me at this point is that with every passing day that he continues to fight this in the most ludicrous, ridiculous ways possible, he is only tarnishing his <laughs> reputation in future generations. Because sure. this is completely unprecedented. In any, even the Gore v. Bush was not at this level. And that was actually close. Yeah. In a... You know, it came down to one state. It did. Indeed. Whereas this is is so far greater than that. And the main thing for me is that you can look at the things that Trump did, the things he achieved in office, and you can look at objectively uh, relative peace in the Middle East, an economy which was doing well, and other things that Trump would say, okay, I did that. But now, all he will be remembered for or the well, there are a lot of things he'll be remembered for, but the, final thing. the lasting memory will be the fact that he will, and who knows how it's going to end. He fought until the very bitter end on the most unbelievably false grounds to remain the president. Yeah, when in any previous election, the rules and the laws and the votes were seen as factual yeah or almost like holy as legitimate as almost sacred yeah and the president did the right thing and conceded but not this time and it's just not a surprise tarnishing and i mean it's, yeah, it's not a surprise he had been he'd been prepping the ground for this for months yeah but it's, it's also is trump he's one of those types of powerful slash rich or slash pretend powerful rich who don't actually care about their real legacy. They care about yep. their perceived legacy, what they believe their legacy is going to be. So he's lying to himself, but he believes those lies. He believes that people view this all as Trump being powerful, and he believes that he is in the right and that he's the winner, and like all those things. And it's tempting for any human brain to, to fall into that trap and that path, but he's embracing that path. James, we're, we're kind of thin on the ground when it comes to entertainment news, and even the entertainment news we have is uh, not that entertaining. All right. Which is a very uh, cruel way to set up the news that Mads Mikkelsen okay. is set to replace Johnny Depp in Fantastic Beasts 3 and presumably 4 and 5, if those things are still happening. Yeah. Uh, so this was after the libel case that Johnny Depp lost in London a couple of weeks ago. And uh, shortly after that, he was booted out of the franchise from his role as Grindelwald. And Mads Mikkelsen is going to take the role. Now, he is best known for a whole variety of Scandinavian neo-noir films. But also, in terms of Western cinema, he was the villain in Casino Royale, the James Bond film. He was also the villain in Doctor Strange. And he does a lot of Carlsberg, or maybe Heineken adverts. One of the two. Yeah, he's good. He 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 plays he plays his characters well. He he does both likable and villainous characters with a slightly different feel than your standard actor. So he should yep. fit pretty well as a replacement for somebody who also does things slightly differently to normal people. Okay, that is basically it in terms of movie news of the past week. Yeah, there was some interesting chat from uh, Christian Stewart about about. I think, as she put it, the slippery slope of only having gay actors play gay characters. Interesting. There was some drama in uh, Japan as Demon Slayer 
the anime has overtaken Frozen uh, to reach the top three highest grossing film of the region. Uh, but really, wow. I didn't see much news aside from some small stuff. Well, we're, we're yet to be the podcast to discuss uh, anime box office in Japan, but maybe that day will yet oh, I, come. I think we technically just did it. I shared the news. <laughs> Okay, James, what have you been watching this week? Or have you listened or finished anything? I have completed a Netflix limited series that was getting heavily marketed. And I finally was like, all right, (laughs) I have watched The Queen's Gambit. Okay, so I believe this stars Anna Taylor-Joy. And it's something about chess? It is indeed about chess. Okay, what did you think? Because I have seen a lot of adverts for it, lots of reviews for it. People liked it a lot. What did you think? I liked it quite a lot. Oh, so I'm not surprised I liked it a lot. Um, the the I don't remember the name. The dude who made it also made... Oh, what on earth? Hang on a second. <laughs> Never heard that show. No, what was the Western one that we liked? Uh, Godless. Godless. And I liked that. It was great. So I wasn't too surprised to like this too. Um, I'm going to say this the story or slash general arc, the everything, it was easy to follow. It, easy to watch as and it would make me want to watch the next episode as soon as the one I was watching was done but there was absolutely no surprises not a single thing was surprising um, okay. the general design like set design costume design all those feel and stuff the music and all that spot on at least in my opinion spot on um, there are some interesting story decisions and well written portions to do with the and the mistreatment, either societally or medically, of women and children um, in the time period that the piece covers. Um, so it speaks to a lot of that. but And it also touches a bit on substance abuse um, in some cliche ways and then in some not very cliche ways. It doesn't just doesn't quite follow the, the usual trend, but it, it, it kind of hints that it's following the usual trend. So there's strengths and weaknesses on those fronts. Um, I would say that the cast and acting is good for what they are given. Uh, the lead is incredible. Every, all the supporting cast is good at what they do. Anna Taylor-Joy is great. Yeah. However, quite a lot of the supporting cast are kind of just like token characters. Okay. Uh, there's literally token gay character and token black character and token boyfriend character and token nerd character. And, and almost everybody's token this or that except the main and a few other characters to get a bit more depth. Um, I would say that the general story of the main character is predictable and never feels like it's at risk. It doesn't feel like there's there's any second direction the story could take us, but that's okay. Right. In a limited series, it's all right to not be too surprised. Um, that's one of the great things about limited series. Uh, they just have a point and then they do it and then you're done. And you're not expecting like the season two cliffhanger okay. um, teaser and stuff like that. So, how, how many episodes? How long are they? Uh, hour long ish episodes. I think there was eight. Can't guarantee it. The last one might have been a bit longer. Um, in general, it treats its characters well, and it, it tells tells you stuff about the time period relatively well. I would recommend this to anybody. Okay. And one of my hopes for the show, because I haven't talked about it, is that the way they represent and present chess will inspire more people to play the game because they do a really good job with the chess. They don't go too deep, so they don't lose the casual viewer by making it super technical 
and un- not understandable. Okay. But they go deep enough to make people realize that, hey, chess isn't just like moving the piece that you're currently moving and hoping for the best. It is really a, a huge mind game and an exhausting one and one that needs dedication. And I hope that it leads to more or less stigmatization around the game because it's still viewed as this nerdy thing uh, for losers and only male losers. The fem- If a female loser plays chess, then they're even more of a loser. So I hope it removes some of that because it's a cool thing. Almost everything can be cool. I am unable to recall the last game of chess I played, but yes, I should play some more. I think I was very much of the one move at a time yeah. kind of school. And I, I, it would have been so long ago that my dad would have said things like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Before taking his shot. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too too much of a chess player myself. I can appreciate it. I, I enjoy watching it more than I enjoy playing it. And um, I don't have the patience. But if we can, if we can get more people into the game at a, a younger age, um, that would be great. So if this if this could continue the rebranding of chess now that it's taken over live streams for a while, now that it's got this really cool limited series on Netflix. I hope the rebrand continues and that people can can feel that it's a more approachable and interesting uh, sport. Okay, well, let me tell you about what I have listened to ah. this week, and I'm going to do the uh, take the unusual step of reviewing and recommending a different podcast for you to go and listen to. My goodness, this is the third one ever, maybe fourth one <laughs> ever, is... depending on your way we view this. <laughs> This is called The Life and Legacy of Fred Hampton, and it's from Revolutionary Left Radio. So for any of you who are hearing about the name Fred Hampton for the first time, he was the 21-year-old would-be leader of the Black Panther Party who was assassinated by Chicago police and the FBI in 1969. So this uh, podcast actually came out last year to mark the 50th anniversary of his murder. Right. And my goodness, the the reason I was listening to it is because one of my good friends, a chap called Peter, who lives in Holland, in uh, the Netherlands, I should say, Mm. is very much into his uh, sort of Black Panthers, communist movements across the world. And he sent this to me as, hey, do you want to listen to this? It's really interesting. You learn something. And you'll perhaps understand a bit more the motives behind some of these movements that we saw in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. And what I took away from it was that people are terrible. And people have continued to be terrible. Of course. For the last 50 years. Yeah. And it's exemplified by the fact that Fred Hampton, who, again, was 21 years old, was put on the FBI's like most dangerous people in the United States list, yeah. the year after he left high school, he was 18 when he was put on this watch list because he was so charismatic, because he was clearly someone who was going to energize black communities across Illinois and further the Black Panther movement. Mm-hmm. And he was poisoned, on the night of his murder, he was poisoned yeah. by, or sorry, drugged by someone in his inner circle who was working as a mole. Yeah. And then the FBI, Chicago PD, turned up at his apartment block, quarter to five in the morning, shot people inside for 10 minutes, in which one shot was returned uh, in in response by the people who were inside. Fred Hampton, because he was drugged, did not wake up, uh, despite the attempts of his his counterparts, his peers, and his pregnant wife. Ugh. And uh, then as the police eventually stormed the building, the remaining alive people 
were being escorted out of the building and were then subsequently charged with attempted murder. Mm-hmm. And as, and this is, it's all in audio, you can listen back to the wife of Fred Hampton saying this. She realised that Fred was barely alive. Yeah. And she heard the police officer saying as much, followed by two gunshots and another voice saying, he's good and dead now. Ugh. And honestly, it is astonishing the level of barbarism that the FBI and the police in America took against the Black Panther Party, who, for example, in 1969, a few weeks before his murder, were giving breakfasts to kids in their community. They literally set up like a breakfast club for kids in this particular part of Chicago, um, reaching out to the community and, and fulfilling the needs of feeding children. The police went to said building in the middle of the night and set fire to the third floor of said building because that is where all their food supplies were kept. Disgusting. It is honestly disgusting. And I'm listening to this thinking, that's awful. Yep. And, and everyone just was, was, I know it was a different time, but everyone was just okay with that. Uh, different time, no. But like... the guy who gave the tip to the police was then given a bonus yeah. for, leading, for leading, the, leading up to the murder of Fred Hampton. And it... There are some there are some aspects of the the podcast where they start using kind of jargon terms, so I didn't understand totally everything they were discussing. Certainly in the early part of the podcast, when they're really setting the scene, right? You know, talking talking about um, some of Fred Hampton's like Marxist beliefs and uh, some of his influences and his background. But once it gets into the the kind of the play by play of what happened, it is a stunning and horrifying reflection of what happened in the States at that period of time. And then it brings it up to the modern day and gives examples of things which are still happening by police officers in the States. And it asks a really difficult question, which is, can you be a good police officer? Because as soon as you put on that that badge and holster that gun, you are standing as the violent arm of the state. And it's a really fascinating discussion. I would urge anybody to go and check it out if you're interested in it. It is Revolutionary Left Radio. It's called The Life and Legacy of Fred Hampton. It's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I certainly learned something. No, any any real life story that gives us a glimpse into the violence of that a comfortable hegemony is willing to to do so that they remain comfortable is worth listening to or worth or worth reading like we are led by a very small group of people in all the all of our western countries it's a small group that has all the power and a small group that has all the money and the things that they're willing to do to quell any sort of movement that will shift that power is disgusting and this is like this isn't still ongoing as i'm as you said the podcast touches on Right, James, some quick fire news for you. Uh, that perhaps was a poor choice of words. We're going to start with the assassination oh of a nuclear scientist in Iran. The president has blamed Israel for the killing of Mohsin Fakhrizadi, mm-hmm. who was uh, murdered again in his car, uh, I want to say on Thursday. Yeah. Fakhrizadi was Iran's most renowned nuclear scientist who had headed the Ministry of Defense's Research and Innovation Organization, and he had 
the rumour was that essentially he was leading the uranium enrichment programme, allowing Iran to develop uh, WMDs. Yeah, basically. Or it's suspected. It's suspected, certainly. Yeah. Um, And... Like I'm just a little, little not analyst on a podcast. Um, I remember that Israel were talking big about this guy quite a while ago. Um, so it's it's not a surprise that the response has been that hey, maybe Israel did this. So it was Netanyahu who actually name dropped this guy in 2018. Yeah. So like I can see why the response is to accuse them. Do I know? No. <laughs> Does it feel like it could have happened that way? Yes. Um, assassinations and stuff, that's dirt. Um, th- we, we need to be solving things by not escalating things, just globally. Um, this yeah. could have all been put to bed if the US didn't wreck the deal that we had. Um, and the US wrecked the deal, and they were still dealing with that fallout. Which, again, no pun intended. Um, uh, the future for the region is murky. Yeah, not It's not looking stable. For all the praise that Trump gets for having peace, he's just kind of like pushed pushed the unsteadiness just long enough to get beyond his time in charge. Uh, and hopefully the next administration will be more keen to have genuine peace rather than just quietly keep things at the status quo for a while. So I know, I know Joe Biden has talked about re-engaging with Iran in discussions because since Trump ended that agreement with Iran, they have been uh, reneging on their promises and saying that their nuclear enrichment (laughs) program is for peaceful purposes only. (laughs) Exactly. This is the exact wording. We're so manipulated. Like the US pulls out the deal and everybody's like, how dare Iran stop agreeing to keep the deal going? It's like, hold on. This is on the US. Of course they're going. Of course, Iran are going to not uphold a deal that has been that has been taken off the table. Do, do do I think they should be doing this? No. Are they going to be doing it? Obviously, it's time to talk to them and try and give them reasons to stop. It's again just linked into the fact that some foreign leader leaders nations have decided we need to murder somebody. Yeah. Because it will, I don't know, make us feel safer or will give us some political leverage. And it's just very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, talking of sad news, we had a couple of high-profile deaths in the last week or so. The first one being Diego Maradona, who is the Argentinian footballer most famous, certainly in England, for his Hand of God goal, which he punched into the net, I want to say in 1986. Uh, he also scored a remarkable goal in that same game in which he skinned like half the team yeah. from his own half, rounded the keeper... But of course, that goal is given second place to the one in which he punched the ball into yeah, the net. Uh, Diego one. Maradona was probably best known, certainly in his latter days, as uh, really struggling with a drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah, uh, He, I believe, was being treated for alcohol dependency up until he had a heart attack uh, a few days ago. Uh, James, it's difficult to to kind of reminisce or discuss a legacy of someone who I never actually saw play i only ever saw highlights yeah, I- but from what i saw certainly from gary lineker who have you ever if you've seen his uh, his sort of tribute to him on, on bt sport it's well worth watching clearly he was someone who was you know a marvel when it came to yeah. actually playing in the 70s and 80s yeah great talent in, in his day but uh, as far as i'm aware the, the times since that day were spent being not such a good person uh, accusations or even beyond that 
um, of abuse yep. and such. So I think I think we talked about this recently with Connery, and I wasn't so aware of his life, but I know for a fact that Maradona is less of a uh, or is not a shining figure in his post fame um, career. Yeah. So yep. it does feel a lot like we're all. Uh, deifying this dude who actually was pretty scummy for a long time um, and that maybe there should be more of a balance to this chat of like yeah a legend has died he kind of sucked though I, I think the the balance though is that if you start kind of particularly with Sean Connery is a good example start calling out all his terrible misdeeds people will accuse you of I don't know, defaming the dead, or you know, now's not yeah. the time. He's only just, he's only just fresh yeah. in the grave. Well, kind of, everybody said said the thing, same thing about Thatcher when when she died and still dies. It's like, yeah, you're not allowed to be happy, and it's like, well, I'm not happy. I'm just like a bad, a person who did bad things is no longer able to do bad things. So, yeah. Uh, in, in the case of celebrities dying, like I, I don't think we should. Hey, this person died. Let's reminisce about their misdeeds for a day. But I think we should all. We shouldn't at that point say. But let's reminisce about the good stuff instead. We should just be like, okay, they did. They did a bunch of of, of trashy things. So let's just not do much reminiscing on either on either front and just like let this event pass us by without giving them a statue or anything but okay. he'll get a statue he's getting his week's worth of positive news after he died which i'm sure he's going to really appreciate you know being dead and all um i don't think he's or he, people are as deserving of that much attention when they die and especially if they were a bit scummy i believe napoli are renaming their stadium after him yeah exactly uh, so yeah i'm trying to be more aware now i'm I think I genuinely did slip up when Connery died. I should have read more stuff. Uh, and I should know more about the people we speak about. Um, and in this instance, I know for a fact, we're talking about somebody who probably shouldn't be getting a month's worth of public praise. They should at least be getting a more balanced sending off. Okay. Pun intended. Uh, time is... <laughs> Sorry, just, I only just got that. Uh, time is disappearing, so one uh, more mention. Dave Prowse, who was best known for playing Darth Vader in the original Star Wars, has died aged 85. He was cast as Vader for his imposing physique. He was a weightlifter turned actor, um, but apparently he was most proud of playing the Green Cross Codeman. Uh, that role, which was promoting road safety in yeah. UK schools, earned him an MBE. So there are lots of tweets about him today, James. He's someone who I was actually unaware that uh, the voice and the character for Darth Vader were two different people. Oh, yeah. Did not know that. No, go go find some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's hilarious. Go, can you hear his voice? He, he's, a very, he's very, very English and very <laughs> not menacing. And uh, everything but his, his form is pretty not menacing. So find the pre pre uh, um, voice voice acting <laughs> <laughs> scenes. It's really fun. Um, but that was one of the things, just to talk into it, well, that was one of the things that allowed the spoiler off, and spoilers if you haven't seen the original Star Wars trilogy, um, Darth Vader being Luke's dad. That was one of the things that kept that so under wraps, is that the original line they recorded on scene was different. Really? Yeah. So they were at, he was acting in response to a different line to the I am your father um, that we all know and that has gone down in history as this huge, big, famous line. Um, I know that Price took a lot of offense. He didn't know he was going to get his voice uh, replaced. 
uh, he was upset by that. So I can I can understand why he was more proud of other things where his whole performance was actually okay. cared about and rewarded. Um, he, he'll be missed by the fan base, I'm sure. One final story before we wrap this up. Scotland has become the first country to offer universal free period products. So this means that uh, the MSP who was Monica Lennon uh, behind the legislation said it was just the first step of reducing or ending the stigma of menstruation in Scottish society. So that means now that uh, with unanimous support, I must say, in Holyrood, you can yeah. go and get any sort of menstruation products for free. Uh, it was just initially in schools and colleges, but now I believe it is going to be in public, public toilets, buildings. in yeah. workplaces. And yeah. that's great. There's going to be a, an encouragement for private entities to take up a similar practice because it just makes good sense. And it's something that the whole world has noticed. And hopefully this is a, a world-leading moment for Scotland where we have managed to do something that could help um, a lot of people who either can't afford products or who are ashamed to ask when they don't have any. Well, well done. And yet there was some opposition because it might cost more than a couple of million Um <laughs> But come on, it's just worth the price. Absolutely. Okay, James, we have well and truly gone over our time here, but thank you very, very much for joining me. If you want to get in touch with the show, give us any feedback, a discussion, ask questions, make fun of us, disagree with anything we've said, you can do so at Seesaw Parade. The Facebook page has now been shut down, by the way. Uh, yeah, so you've got I got that notification. I was proud. Oh, did you? Nice. Uh, Twitter, at Seesaw Parade, or email us, seesawparade at gmail.com. If you've seen anything, if you want to review it, you can, of course, send that in as well. James. It's been very, very fun, as always. Oh yeah, these are these are these are these are real nice. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, I mean, like the bad news is hard to talk about, but it is good to talk about things. <laughs> it is. It's good to talk. Okay, Jim. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Call. Catch you next time. <laughs> I think my mum calls me that. So uh, Ooh, okay. Thanks. Sill. Catch you next time. Sill. Yeah, I took the I from Colin and put it in okay. before Enough. the L. Bye. Bye. You ruined it.